This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Ollie Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. We are going to have a very interesting episode as I get to discuss walking behavior across the lifespan. And we have a brilliant guest for the episode. Our guest is a professor and a dean of the College of Health and Human Services in University of North Carolina at Charlotte. She has published over 300 articles and is one of the most cited authors in the field of physical activity. Her paper, How Many Steps Per Day Are Enough? Preliminary Pedometer Indices for Public Health has been cited over 1,200 times. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our guest, Professor Catherine Tudor-Lock. Welcome, Catherine. Well, thank you for having me, Ali. This is a joy. Yeah, nice to nice to have you. So would you like to introduce yourself and tell a little bit about your research career? Yeah, sure. So I'm originally Canadian. That's where I typically start off. And I did all my academic training up in Canada. I did a bachelor's of um, physical education, focused on physical education at a small local university in Alberta. And I did my master's in kinesiology in Dalhousie University in Nova Scotia, so the other end of the country. And then I ended up doing my PhD at the University of Waterloo, Central Canada in Ontario. And at that time, my PhD, I decided to to go into public health. So I brought physical activity and my interest in physical activity to public health, and that's how I kind of got into it there. So I got my first tenure track position at Arizona State University. And so that was my early career. So I spent about seven years there and my career was taking off. I was getting lots of recognition. I was publishing a lot on walking behavior, working with some great scientists across the world, traveling a lot around the world and engaging. And that was a lot of fun. But when I got tenure, I had a decision to make about whether I wanted to continue on that academic track. And I decided I just didn't want to do that. And so I, I walked away from tenure after doing a sabbatical in Australia and reflecting on it. And I became an entrepreneurial scientist at Pennington Biomedical Research Center in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where I was for about another seven, eight years. Um, and all I did was research, which was fantastic. It was, um, I didn't do committee work. I didn't do any teaching. I did uh, mentor some postdocs. Um, I just was writing grants, conducting research, writing papers, engaging with scientists. And it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Great colleagues, still engage a lot with them. Uh, But there came a point in my career that I just felt a need to have a greater impact. And perhaps because I'm what's considered a first-generation student myself, which means um, the first of my generation in my family, 
to go to university. And I just felt I needed to give back. And I found the way to do that is through administration. So uh, a lot of my scientist friends were probably like shocked in horror that I would step off the research track and deliberately go into admin. But I became a chair of a department of kinesiology at UMass Amherst. And then I became an associate dean for research and administration also at UMass Amherst. And then in August 2019, I was offered the position of Dean of the College of Health and Human Services here at UNC Charlotte. And I agreed to take this, but I said to the individuals who are hiring me, I said, only if I can continue to be research active. And they said, nobody ever wants that. <laughs> and I went, well, I do. And uh, so I brought my research laboratory here. I've had some uh, postdocs have worked with me. Uh, I've had some PhD students and now some undergrads. Again, I'm having fun while doing administration. And uh, we just recently heard that we um, got a very good score on another grant. So I think I'm going to be in the business for another five to seven years. So uh, that should be fun. So that's the long story. Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. So you had the chance to be just fully doing research, and you wanted to go to admin. That's not very common in the in the research community. And you wanted to make an impact. How how has it been now doing admin in an important role? And how do you have time to also do research? <laughs> you know, uh, once upon a time, one of my colleagues told me. He said. You know, hire a great team and you'll never, ever have to work a day in your life. And I remember thinking about that and I'm going, that's it. I surround myself with great people, uh, great postdocs, fantastic PhD students, graduate students, undergrads, uh, staff, and uh, everybody is fantastic. They're all working towards the same goal. And then in my administration life, of course, I've got lots of great faculty and, and admin, and they also are actually very supportive of my desire to keep active in research. I also teach, again, kind of unheard of, but I enjoy it. And uh, it allows me an opportunity to interact with the students and also understand what the, the faculty are going through. Uh, it. I'm busy, but again, when you have a part of a team, it's not like I have to do all the work. I am the mentor. I am the senior person. I'm the one who coordinates things or has a vision or, or supports. But as you can see from my publications, a lot of them are no longer first authored by me. And uh, I am just happy to be able to help others open that door and, and launch their careers and engage. And uh, so that's that's how I keep active. Mm. And if I go back to this, you were in Pennington Biomedical Research Center and they only do research. Is there many institutes like that? And is it a, is it the possibility for many researchers? No, it's, it's, it's a, an unusual paradigm. Uh, oftentimes, young people on the academic track that are interested in, in a research career will, will oftentimes do their postdoc and then they might go into like research and development with corporation and therefore do research all the time but academic institutions it's not as frequent they may have research positions uh, research professor positions but they aren't tenure track and they are contingent on funding as pennington was you had to bring in your own salary so there was there was you know it was a pressure but a different type of pressure i mean in a in a typical um academic setting you have pressure but like i say it's just a a different um 
angle, you're doing teaching, research, and service. Whereas this, all I did was research, but there was high pressure to be productive. Um, So same thing, just a different um, way of doing things. That's all. Mm. So so basically, if we go to your research, you've been doing basically walking behavior research quite a bit. And, And could you tell more what kind of things you are actually studying what kind of things you can study when you are studying walking behavior. Well, you know, it's kind of funny because we all walk, you know, and we all walk from those first steps we take into the last ones we take in our lifestyle uh, life. But I found, you know, there's so much to be answered, so much to study. And and that was good for me. Um, I got into quantification of it very quickly. So, you know, step counting and, I got into that because I was trying to find something that was simple and accessible and intuitive and could work specifically with, with people with type 2 diabetes at that that moment when I was working on it. But it can translate across all groups because, you know, able-bodied people across the lifespan are able to walk. Uh, so I got into trying to figure out things. As I mentioned before, I had to write the book on... on um, you know, practical pedometry, like how many steps do pregnant women take? How many steps do six-year-olds take? Uh, how many days do you have to wear a device in order to have a reliable measure? Um, you know, can you wear them for 24 hours? All of that stuff that that are just has to do with the measurement of it was a wonderful rabbit hole for me to dive down, uh, even before I got into uh, intervention work. And so I spent a lot of time just trying to trying to provide that direction. And, and it was a bit of an uphill battle because um, I was often, I, I would hear criticism that I was obsessed with uh, step counting, that uh, I was too simplistic, that... Um, I just didn't get the bigger picture. Uh, and and I could see other colleagues that were choosing different directions with accelerometry, with activity counts, doing calorie counting. I, I could see that. And I I never dissed it, you know what I mean? I just thought I I was still focused on a more simplistic, uh, feasible direct answer. So I, I'm always okay with that, but I definitely was, um, uh, received criticism, but you just stay true to your path and, and it, and it worked out for me. So, uh, more recently, more recently, uh, and, and, and I'm happy because of course there was this wave of step counting devices now. And I'd like to say I played small, some small role in kind of launching the, the foundational information around that. But more recently, I've been focused more on cadence. So the idea of, um, the, 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 the speed at which you uh, take your steps. And the reason I got into that was, again, uh, I always talk to the young people that I mentor, I say, you listen closely to your critics. And because they always have some truth in what they're saying. And there was some criticism of my work that saying, you know, she's too focused on volume of physical activity, and she's not paying attention to tenets of, of intensity. You know, there's intensity as well. You should focus on intensity. So I kept focusing on that and going, okay, well, why isn't cadence a, a marker of intensity? And again, I was told, oh, that's too simplistic. You know? And I went, well, let's try some studies. So I did a, a pilot study and showed that there was a very tight relationship between intensity and cadence. 
Okay. And then I was able to parlay that into a larger study that proved again, there's a very tight relationship, correlation of over 0.9 of intensity measured as oxygen consumption and cadence across a range of heights. And I went, okay, so we put in another grant, got an NIH award um, to look at this in kids, which was great because that was across the developmental lifespan, all different heights. And we showed there was a strong relationship. And then I got an NIA, uh, National Institute of Aging grant to do that in adults. And again, strong relationship, so much so that we could actually say with, with great confidence, a number of steps that was related to, to moderate and vigorous intensity as they are commonly measured in absolute terms. And so the punchline there is we've been able to show in adults from 21 all the way to 85 years of age that 100 steps per minute is a very good proxy indicator of moderate intensity, which is three mets or, or um, uh, you know, uh, three... Uh, which is considered moderate intensity, absolutely defined, uh, three mils per kilogram per, per minute. So uh, it, it is, um, pardon me, 3.5 mils per kilogram per minute oxygen consumption uh, and is one met. And so three mets is a, a, th a multiple of that. So we've been able to show that, and that's solid from 21 all the, 80, all the way to 85. With regards to vigorous for uh, 21 all the way to 60, we've shown that 130 steps per minute is vigorous intensity or six mets. And in the few older adults from the, the ones who were 61 to 85 that could reach vigorous intensity, 130 worked as well. But there were so few older adults that could reach vigorous intensity that it was almost like it's a moot point. Yeah, technically we could say 130 for them as well, but it's almost, it was, it was, uh, it, it didn't matter for most older adults. Although, you know, uh, we'd want to repeat that with older adults who run regularly or something like that. And I'm fairly confident that we'll come up with the same number because it, the data kept showing it over and over again. And we've published those papers and we've published the data. So if you go to those papers, I've put all the data in supplemental files because I thought, you know, people have to be able to play with this data. And I, and I hope that, uh, you know, faculty out there are allowing their students to play with those data that we've published out there and, and come to their own conclusions or replicate what we did. Either one. I'm happy with that. So. This podcast is sponsored by Fibian, a research device that has been shown to be valid in tracking sitting, standing, physical activity and energy expenditure. Furthermore, Fibian has been shown to be valid categorizing physical activity into light, moderate and vigorous intensity. In addition to scientific accuracy, Fibian provides automatically produced and easy to understand reports for research participants. Get scientific validation and learn more about Fibian at fibian.com research. Fibian from researchers to researchers. Mm. So basically, it seems that when we increase intensity of walking, we are not increasing the length of step, but we are just taking steps faster. Well, both. I mean, those those of my my uh, you know that's 
when I talk about having great teams, I have hi highly interdisciplinary teams. So I have the biomechanists on my team and I have the physiologists on my team and all that. So the biomechanists would say, hey, if you're increasing speed, you are increasing cadence and stride length almost at the same ratio. Um, and when you start to run, then you might get a little bit more in the sense of uh, stride length over cadence. But during that whole walking phase, it's it's really very tightly. You wouldn't increase one, you increase the other. Uh, so from a measurement point of view, I only have to measure cadence. And, and the why I care about that is because the devices, I can get cadence from that. Not always can I get stride length, right? Because you'd have to have some sort of positional device. But I can also now look at video recording of crowds and count cadence. And I don't even have to see their feet to do that because your heads bob up and down in time with, you know, um, the strides. So there's a number of ways that we can use counting of cadence uh, to inform research without having to have devices. And then the other thing is, um, for I always say you don't even have to have a device on to know your cadence because all you have to do is have some sort of, just like taking your heart rate, just uh, some sort of device where you're measuring time and then you count in your head what your, your step um, is for 10 or 15 seconds and then you multiply it either by six or four, depending on how you've counted that. And bada boom, bada bing, you've got your cadence and uh, that's very useful. Where I'd like to go with this is, is I do believe we're going to get more precision and we're, we're um, we just, we're, we got, um, we know we're getting funding now for a child uh, level a grant where we're going to provide even more precision so that if we, and we will be developing an R shiny tool where individuals will be able to put in their height, weight, sex, and a few other things and come up with a more precise estimate of cadence related to intensity that would be more individualized. And where I hope to go with that is eventually, for example, in cardiac rehab, instead of having heart rate target zones, we could actually have cadence training target zones that would be a little bit more accessible to individuals without having to wear a um, heart rate monitor and still be able to have confidently say they are working at the intensity that they individually need to work at and then can over time increase that. Mm, yeah, so quite interesting that basically you can just from the bouncing of the head, you can measure it and and then instruct people easier. So it's easier for them to understand what other applications you you see or what other advantages you see for this. Yeah. Method. So, I, you know, I've been focusing a lot on, on measurement and I'm trying to tighten up the measurement, but ultimately the end game is around intervention and informing public health guidelines. And so, you know, public health guidelines now are described as, you know, you take so many minutes per week, 100 and uh, you know, 150 minutes per week of moderate intensity uh, activity, like a walking or what have you. But when we get down to the public health guidelines and they're saying moderate intensity, we'll say, well, what is that? And they'll say, well, it's uh, three mets. And they say, well, what does that mean? And they'll say, well, this many calories. And you're going, well, what does that mean? And they'll say, well, this percent of heart rate max. And, and, and what does that mean? And so eventually they try to make it easier by saying brisk walking. But that's so vague, right? And, and, and it's tough to measure. So I wanted to get something that is digital, quantified, 
but it's simple and intuitive. So when I talk to a person, I said, well, at least 100 steps per minute. And they go, oh, thank you. Thank you. You know, but then they'll go out and walk and they'll say, hey, I walk it faster than 100 steps per minute. I went, yes, because it's fairly easy for a normal, uh, a normally paced walk, a self-paced walk for most adults are easily over 100 steps per minute. And I don't say slow down to 100 steps per minute. I mean, just at least 100 steps per minute. But for example, when I walk my dogs, I'm at 111 steps per minute. And, and I'm not necessarily booking it. You know, the dogs have to pace themselves too. But uh, but this, it just provides a way to communicate. And then individually, if a person is at 111 and then they want to increase their activity, then they can go up to 115 or they can go up to 120 or what have you. And um, over time, I mean, it's possible to do um, high intensity interval training using soundtracks that would provide, you know, um, metronomes, which would be very boring, but music that is stretched or bent to fit uh, specific beats per minute because people we know from other literature will be influenced their cadence will be influenced by by uh, music and so um, we could do mass um, uh, interventions that way we could do individual interventions people have been using music for a while but here's a way to be more preci precisely uh, managing your intensity through this. So that's another application. Mm, yeah, that's that's very interesting. I think nowadays most of the podcast apps you can speed up like 1.1, 1.2. So basically if you would have the music in such a player, you could kind of ramp it up slowly. And you can either have it pre-programmed or like you say, right at that moment, you can take it up or not. And, um, you know, it's it's kind of funny because I'll talk to people and they said, I've been running with music for years. And I'm going, yes, you have. And yet nobody has really, you know, put the science to it to quantify it. See, another thing that I'm interested in is when you read the, you know, the the lay journals like Runner's World and so on like that, they will talk about the, the best training cadence, you know, and they'll say like 170 to 180. And I've always been fascinated about that. And so I've done done literature search to find out where it happens. And there isn't a lot of science that I can find that says, you know, there, and I'm going, well, that's for some young enterprising scientist to bring the evidence, you know, for this, because I think it, it's fascinating to me that here's something that, I mean, the Romans were counting steps back thousands of years ago and it's only now that we're actually getting to the point of oh yes this step counting thing it actually has it there's evidence in it that can be used and it's we can measure it in a number of ways and use it to inform different things so um yeah like i said this will probably be my legacy and i'm good with it Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, 
So be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.